Okay. Till now, we've been really seeing how how the entire Chumash Bereshis, and certainly the first few parshios, symbolize the theme of Derech Eretz Torah. Before you have the Torah, before you have the mitzvahs, you have to have menshlochkeit. Derech Eretz. We talked about it in Bereshis, Noach. And in a sense, the entire Chumash Bereshis represents that, because all Chumash Bereshis is mainly stories, rather than uh, mitzvahs. We learn midos, derecheretz, midos, derecheretz kodmele Torah. Or as Rabbi Yisrael Salanter said once, when they asked him the question, why are there no mitzvahs in the Torah for midos? He answered, because the mitzvahs were given to a mensch. You have to first be a mensch before you can have mitzvahs. So that's why it doesn't bother saying in the Torah, be kind, don't be a balgaiva. You know, all the midos that a person is supposed to have are are prerequisites for Torah. In a sense, though, although Yisrael Salanta said that, it's a little bit of an oversimplification. Because the fact is that the purpose of the Torah is to cultivate Midos as well. But there's no specific commandment for a Midos. But it is derived from many of the mitzvahs. Certainly, though, we see from the stories. Parshish Chayesor, in that sense, has a great deal of this theme as well. Because out of all the parshas that we've had, the one that seems to have the most amount of narrative for the least amount of storyline is really Pasha Chayisara. The entire Pasha is taken up with two parts. The first part is the burial of Sarah, and more specifically, the negotiations for the burial of Sarah. Basically, just negotiations, the back and forth conversation, something which would seemingly be insignificant and very, very minor in when we realize that the Torah skips entire sections of history of even of the great people. Moshe Beno's life, I always point this out, how the entire Torah which speaks about so much about Moshe Rabbeinu, we think we're intimately knowledgeable of Moshe's life. The amount of information that we have about Moshe's life on the 120 years that he lived is about two and a half years of it. Approximately. We have his birth, it skips to age 13, and it then skips to age 80. And it doesn't go from 80 to 120, like most people think. It goes from 80 to 81, and from 119 to 120. It skips the whole midsection of that life also. So we only know about two and a half years of Moshe's life. So the Torah just skipped. So to go into long-winded negotiations over how there was a purchase of a gravesite, and then afterwards it's followed with Eliezer Evan Avram swearing to Avram how he's going to do a shidduch, how Avram wants him to do a shidduch, and the repetition of that, where Eliezer repeats it and repeats it, and the Torah lavishes great detail on Eliezer's repetition, to the point of where Chazal even make note of this, where they say, Greater was the Torah's desire to relate to us, it was more pleasant and beautiful by God, the mere conversation, the idle conversation seemingly, of the servants of the forefathers than the Torah of the children because you take a mitzvah like Shabbos and just as don't do melacha and it leaves it up to the Torah Shabbat and to the derivations and to the drushes to learn out the vast body of laws about Shabbos, as if the Torah says, yeah, okay, Shabbos, let's get it over with oh, Eliezer Avram, Avram that you've got to spend a little bit of time on. 
Why is that? Terrence, when it comes to Torah and to intellectual and you know pursuits or whatever it is, you could sort of regiment and you could derive and deduce and, and work it out. When it comes to Nidos, which is lifestyle, if you don't say over the whole story, you can't really learn the lessons after you learn. It's not something that could be regimented and taught in a be kind. There's no way of giving over the halachas like that. You have to give over the whole story, the whole narrative. So from the fact that the Torah does that, from the fact that the Torah goes through the entire story to such a great, lavishly detailed account, we see how important the Torah considers midos and how to behave. Where the other things can be learned. So let's just take one little segment of it and we'll see what else we could learn from it. As I said before, we'll discuss jewelry. This is the first time that jewelry is mentioned. Now, the Torah tells us seemingly minor, insignificant details about our jewelry. Let's see what we can learn from that. When the camels finally finished drinking, in other words, he tested her out to see if she had the right qualities that he wanted in her midos. He took a golden ring generally referred to as a nose ring Beka Mishkolo and tells us the weight the weight of it was a Beka and he put two bracelets Smidim are bracelets but they're also usually meant to refer to attached bracelets a Tzomid is like the harness that you put on the animal when you want to attach two animals together I don't know what they're called I don't know I think it's called the harness it's called something else what do you put the, between that keeps the animals together when you're going on a stagecoach or, or plowing? Yo. No, 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 but that keeps the two animals together. You're asking the wrong Yeah, guy. this is not our technology. Okay. So then the answer to that is a tzamed, or a tzamed, tzamed bokar. So tzamedim then would be bracelets that are attached. Al yodel. Asor azov mishkolom. And its weight was ten golden something or others. But it tells you the weight. Rather strange, as we pointed out, that the Torah is going to discuss in such great detail something so minor, something so insignificant, especially as the weight of this particular jewelry. Says Rashi that each of these pieces of jewelry were symbolic of something. Becca, the nose ring, was symbolic. Becca, as it says, Becca Lugolas. When they took the shkolen and they took a machtes hashekel, which was a half a weight of a certain kind, of a shekel. Each Jew had to contribute in Parshas Kisisa. Over there the Torah tells us that as a kapora, as a general kind of an atonement for the Jewish people, which Chazal tells us had to do with the eagle, each male member of Klal Yisrael had to contribute to the, to the sanctuary treasury a machzis hashekel. Right? That's what it says over there. It's on page 209 if you're interested in seeing in Shemos. Kisisas Rosh Saw when you count them, v'nosnu ish kofer nafsho. Each man shall give the atonement of his soul. They've called over some when they're counted. How much should they give? Machzis hashekel v'shekel hakodesh. A half a shekel. This is to be used for the temple treasury. And it's a true to Hashem, as it says, in order to atone for your souls. 
what atonement they particularly need. So because of this fact that this is in Parshish Kisisa, it's referring to the sin of the ego. And again it says, it should be a zikor Hashem l'chapir al-nashoseichem as an atonement for your soul. Why a half shekel? There's a number of, of uh, interpretations offered why it's a half a shekel's worth. We'll see one shot shortly. But therefore the beka, it says beka lakul golas, that was the weight. And it says here beka mishkolo, the weight of the nose ring was a beka. Says Rashi, says Chazal, that this is a remez, it alludes to the machzis shekel that all the Jews gave for the temple treasury as an atonement. She, he was trying to symbolize to her, you're going to have, you're going to be the mother of the Jewish people that are going to give this beka. Then Rashi says, what's the shnei tzmid in the two bracelets? Remez the shnei luchos mitzumodos. It's a remez to the two luchos that are somehow attached to each other. We'll talk about that, what that means. What's the asor zov mishkolam? That the weight of the two bracelets was ten zahav, representing the ten commandments on the two luchos. Two luchos with ten commandments all together. So therefore the two bracelets represented the luchos. The nose ring represented the machz hashekel. What exactly is the message from this particular from this particular jewelry that was given to her? Why these pieces? Why this rem is at this point? In Parshat Kisisa by Sheni. Hashem gave to Moshe upon finishing talking to him two luchos of testimony luchos even luchos tablets of stone let's draw your attention to two words the word kichaloso and the word luchos luchos and kichaloso are both written without the vav remember whenever there's a vav missing which is called chaser it's very significant the significance of it is that it's written in the Torah, it could be pronounced much differently. Kechaloso means when he finished, like Vayichal, Vayichulu. However, if you take away the dots, then you, the word is read totally different. And there's no Vav there to tell you to read it like this. So without the Vav, it reads Kechaloso, like a Kala. Hashem gave Moshe like you give to a Kala. Rashi right away points out on that, based on the Medrash, that Moshe Rabbeinu was adorned with the Torah the same way that a kala is adorned with jewelry. In Yeshaya Hanavi, there's a discussion of how much jewelry a kala is given. And over there it says that a kala is miskashetes b'chof da'od kishutin. It's given a total of 24 different gifts of jewelry. And likewise, there are 24 books of Tanakh. A Talmud Chacham has to adorn his body, or his soul, he has to adorn his soul the way a kawa adorns her body, with the 24 books of Tanakh. So again, we see a relationship here between a bride and jewelry. And in this particular case, the jewelry was the Torah, as symbolized by the two luchos. So the two luchos and the two bracelets of Rivka, we see another another connection here. Rashi also continues the word luchos is written again minus the vav. It doesn't have luchos 
which would be plural, but luchas, it's written singularly. Shahoyu and shavos, the two were equal. But the two luchos were equal. We're going to have to understand what does it mean that the two luchos are equal. Two tablets, they're equal. It's as if they're connected as one big tablet. Rather than viewing them as two distinct separate tablets, two entities that are separated, it's considered like one giant entity, one luach. Again, what do we have by Rivka? The bracelet was tzmidim. Two bracelets, but they're called not bracelets, they're called tzmidim. Attached bracelets. And each bracelet represented one of the luchos. A total of ten altogether. But the two are connected, linked. So we have, very interestingly, uh, a connection right in the Pasuk itself that alludes to it. Because because of taking out the Vav, you have a Kawa and you have one Luach. You have by Rivka the same thing. She is the Kawa. She's given the jewelry of two Luchos, which are attached. So let's take a look now in our papers. says the Yosef, We understand why we would want to allude to the Luchos. Sharama's law that Elie- that Eliezer was trying to hint to her and show her even the basis she's going to be the mother of the Jewish people who are going to receive the luchos. We know that the luchos, of course, the luchos contain the entirety of the Torah within it. But so we understand why we would allude to the luchos. But what is the allusion to the connection of the luchos one to the other? What does it come to teach us that the two luchos were interconnected? That the luchos as well as the bracelets were connected to each other? What is the Torah trying to convey to us and the other trying to teach her by giving her this type of jewelry? And how do we know that he was trying to convey something? Because the Torah points out the jewelry by referring to it as connected jewelry. So the fact that the word mitzumados is used is an allusion to the fact that the luchos are connected. We know that to be the case with the luchos as well, because luchos is written in a manner as if to say that the two luchos are connected. So obviously the same message as the lack of the vav has in Parshat Kisiso, telling us that the luchos are connected, is really the exact same message that Eliezer is trying to convey. What is the message in both cases? Furthermore, what is the message in the Macht Sashekel? Why that particular thing? And why mention that he put it in the form of a nose ring to place it on her nose? What's that all about? You want to lead her by the nose exactly? What is it? What's the nose ring all about? So here, let us first make the following introduction. In fact, maybe we should very briefly go through the Kliyaka on the other side. What is the connection in the two parshios, Ephron to the story of Eliezer going to look for Rivka? Very interesting connection. <coughs> Part of what Chazal are teaching us by the story of Ephron was that although Avram acted like a gentleman even under pressure, his wife died, he came back from Akedas Yitzchak, Hashem promised him the land of Israel, and here he has to pay, and he's willing to pay an exorbitant price, overcharged for the land of Israel just to bury his wife. And he takes it all like a man, so to speak, like a mensch. He's polite to them, and he doesn't doubt God throughout. That's the Nisayan of Avraham Avinu. He was able to withstand, even after the Akedah, suffering another disappointment, and then suffering another disappointment, and never seeing God's pledge ever fulfilled. 
On the other hand, if we contrast that to Ephron, we find the person who acts nice. Very publicly, he acts nice. In fact, I saw an I heard an interesting shot. I'll share it with you as well. That Ephron. I mean, the truth is, what's so terrible about a person making money? What's so terrible about a person trying to make a little bit of a profit? Terence says there's no problem with a person trying to make a profit. But as Yana Yamelech told his wife, never be afraid of the Purushim, Purushim are the tzaddikim, the very pious individuals. Don't be afraid of those that aren't Purushim. Those are the guys that are, and tell it like it is, don't be afraid of them either. What you got to be afraid of is the tzivuim. Who are the tzivuim? The hypocrites. The guys that are colored. No. I mean, on the outside they act one way, but inside there's something else. Or as the Gemara says it very poignantly, they act like a Pinchas. They want the reward of a Pinchas, but they're doing the deeds of a Zimri. <laughs> but they want the reward of a Pinchas. Those are the worst. Those are the Tzivuim. In fact, we always refer to it as a Chazer. Why a Chazer? And the reason I mentioned the Chazer now is because the Chazer is going to come back to, to haunt us a little bit later in what we're going to talk about today. The Chazer hides his face and exposes his paws because his paws look kosher but it doesn't chew its cud so it's trafekite it tries to cover up it's kosher part it tries to expose it's the only animal that's like that in the world the only animal in the world that has split hooves but doesn't chew its cud is the chazer and the chazer family that's why the chazer is mentioned separately all other animals are either both trafe or it's the other way around the chazer is the only one that has split hooves and the external sign is kosher. The internal one is trait. We do have, most animals are either have both signs of kashus or both signs of not being kosher. They either chew their cuds and have split hooves or have neither. There are a few exceptions. The camel is an exception. It chews its cud and doesn't have split hooves. But over there, the external sign is trait. So you know to stay away from it. The internal sign is what's kosher. We, to have kosher, have to have an external and an internal sign. The Chazer is the only one that acts kosher externally. Internally, it's treif. And it tries to cover it up also. the most unkosher animal. Yeah, but, but, that, but that's what makes it more unkosher. The fact that it's hypocritical about its kashrus and tries to act kosher is the most dangerous of treif animals as a result. That's why the Chazer <clears throat> is the symbol of that. Ephron tells Avram, you know what? You could have the money. You could have the land for free. But notice how he gives himself away in an almost Freudian manner. What is that? He, Avram says, right away the first thing he says to them, he says, I'm a stranger, give me a chuzas kever. And they tell him, the Bnei Ches tell him, wherever you want you can have. Comes Avram and says, you know what? If that's the case, Bring Ephron. I want to go to Ephron. I want his thing. He has one place that I want from him. The Kesef Mola Yitmenoli. But I only want him to give it to me full price. I'll pay full price, Avram says. Avram offers full price money in front of everybody. Ephron, he says, makes note of the fact, Yoshev Betoch B'nei Ches. He's sitting in the midst of the B'nei Ches, in the midst of all the people. Vayan Ephron Achiti, and Ephron talks, Bo'oznei B'nei Ches to the ears of everybody else because he's making a public display this is a, almost a public announcement and what does he say? he says oh 
My master, listen to me. The field, the cave, it's yours. In the eyes of all my people. I'll give it to you for free. But he's always mentioning it. It's always in public. What happens by then when he finally asks for the money? He says, Between me and you, what's 400, you know, what's 500,000 now between me and you? When it's in private and he has an opportunity to make money, he goes for the gargle. Publicly, he's the nicest guy around. That's the hypocrite. That's the worst. The guy that publicly acts one way, but privately, between me and you, no. on the side, he whispers to you, come on, let's make a, let's make a deal. So Ephron is this chazer, this tzvua, this hypocrite. I heard another interesting channel, between me and you, what is it? What is there between Ephron and Avram in common? Absolutely nothing. Their names are even opposite. The only thing that's beini uveincha, what do they have in common between me and between you? The resh in their names. Ephron has a resh, Avram has a resh. The numerical value of the two reshes is 400. So Ephron is telling him, Avram, beini uveincha, you know, give me 400. So here we have another, another 400. But Chazal tell us, or, what do you mean their names are opposite? None of their names have none of the letters in the names are in common except for the resh. Two times race, between me and you, the two races, that's what I want from you, 400. But it's in private, it's, on, it's a hush hush. Beyond that, we pointed out that Ephron minus the Vav comes out to 400, which is how much he paid. And that's why when Avram pays him, there's Ephron without the Vav. Ephron without the Vav is also the gematria of Ra Ayin, the evil eye. The person who, the stingy eye, I should say. So, and we gave you the example, the story the other day about the Rambam with the cats. That what happens is people on the surface sometimes are nice, but Chazal tell us you can recognize a person one of three ways: the kiso, the kaso, the kosa. When it comes to his money, when he loses his temper, when he's drunk, we see already how Ephron acts. Once already he hears the jingling of the coins of Avram, the cat comes out of Ephron, and he becomes this. Ra Ayin. This person would be Ra Ayin. Ra Ayin comes out to 400. Here's where the Pasuk comes in. The Pasuk, it's, it's, it's unbelievable how the Pasuk fits in. Listen to the words of the Pasuk in Mishle. Nivha Lohoin. He who is excited and tumultuous about establishing wealth, Ish Ra Ayin, is a man of a Ra Ayin. Right? Ra Ayin. Yoda, but he doesn't realize that it's going to cause a chisaron, a loss. That he's losing something. Or he, lo- he lost the Vav, right? He became the Ra'ayin by the loss of the Vav. Ephron with the Vav is 406. Ephron without the Vav, when he demonstrated his Ra'ayin, is when he became is when he became the Ra'ayin. So by being Nivhalahon, by being uh, uh, money hungry and eager to make a profit, he's an Ishra'ayin. He doesn't realize that he lost. He lost the Vav by doing that. We talked about what the loss of that Vav was all about. But how that Pasuk in Mishle fits in exactly with, with the episode of Ephron. Ephron is a Ra'ayin as a result of Nivalahon and as a result of losing the Vav, Chosar. Because of the Chosar in his name, Chosar means lack, losing something. Because of the lack in his name, he became the Ishra'ayin. Because it was in Nibal home. And that's how he became the Ryan.
As a result, we could now see the connection between this parsha, between the first part of the story and the next part. What is the next part of the story? Avram takes Eliezer and says, I swear, want to make you swear, I adjure you by the Lord of heaven and earth that I don't want to marry any of the Canaanite women. I want someone from my stock. And the question that the Ron asks is, what's going on over here? Eliezer Evid Avram was a great sage. He was a Rosh Hashivah in Avram's household. He had a daughter, a tremendously wonderful girl. How come Avram is willing to give up on Eliezer's daughter and run off to where? Go back to my household, to my family in, in Choron and get me a girl from there. Oh, she brought up. Did she go to Beis Yaakov? Where did she go? Was she ever taught what it means in monotheism? Yeah. Just the opposite. She only learned Avodazar. She was brought up in the household of Lavan, of Besuel, all these people that had Avodazar. Not like about Shuvah. No, it's like saying, here's a fruit from birth girl. I, I want about Shuvah. I want about Shuvah from there. What's going on over here? Why does Avram choose to take a person from Choron rather than anybody from local, even though they could be Eliezer's daughter? Says the Ron a very important lesson. And it's a very timely lesson as well. Timely because of the issues that we have nowadays. Nature versus nurture. Right? That's the uh, discussion. Nurture versus nature. What things are. Bell curve, you know, all this kind of stuff. The book, the new book, the bell curve. Intelligence is it inheritable, is it genetic. Basically, says the Ron, it's much easier to cultivate and to take somebody who has the right material and to teach them Torah and monotheism and Yiddishkeit if you have material to work with than if you have people with evil traits deep down and they could have all the right philosophies but if their midos are lacking you're not going to get anywhere therefore Avram says I cannot live with Ephrons. He knew what the Ephrons were all about. He right away started off saying, I'll pay, I'll pay. I don't need anything free. I know what you're all about. You want to make a profit. You're a Niva Lohon Ish Ra Oyen. You're a Chazer. You're a hypocrite. I don't need people with a thin veneer of, of civilization and there's a cat lurking to pounce beneath that. I want a mensch. I don't want a cat that looks good, that looks human. I don't need a cat that acts human and looks human. The Germans, right? We don't need that. We'd rather have people that you got to work on them, but they're a clay that you could work with. Go to my home, and I'm willing to take a woman that's a Vodzar. Yitzchak can never go there. That's something else. Because he's going to learn their ways. Now, she has to come here. But we can work with her. We can teach her. If she comes to us, we can teach her, and we could cultivate her and develop her midos and turn it into a wonderful Jewish woman. That's what Avram said. So Eliezer's daughter came from the stock of Canaan. We know that Canaan and Chom were the symbol of promiscuity and it was a genetic thing, a spiritual genetic thing, personalities. Avram said, I would rather take Rivka, brought up in, a, in an idolatrous household than an Eliezer's daughter who seems nice and was brought up in a good household but the wrong stock. Of course, if the choice is should Yitzhak go there and learn from their perverted ways over there, then already I'll, I'll take Eliezer's daughter. Right? The choice of Yitzhak moving there, that was already out. That was already unquestionable. 
But this is what to look for in a shidduch. Therefore, we now see what Eliezer was trying to do. In fact, we don't have to do the, the Kliyokar inside. We'll just say it outside. Therefore, Eliezer said, how are we going to determine who the right woman is? We need the opposite midah of the Ephraim. What the opposite midah of a Ayn Ra? A Tov Ayn. Someone with a good eye. So therefore, this Parsha is trying to tell us that I'm looking for is a Gomel Chesed. Somebody that has the internally good midos. It's interesting, I mentioned this last time, I'm not going to go into this now, but how Rivka, the word Gomel Chesed, to pay kindness, is related to the word Gamal, which is a camel. Rivka was riding on the camel, she fell off of the camel. The symbol of Babylon, where she came from, was the camel. What is it about the camel that's different than the pig? The internal kashus is there. The external one is missing. That we could deal with. Ephron was a chazer. is a faker. That we can't deal with. Rivka comes from family that's gomle chesed. There's a lot still missing. We still got to adorn her with external beauty, the jewelry. We got to teach her the Torah. The luchos, we have to place onto her. But internally, it's already there. There's already the internal kashrus that's there. We just have to put on the external beautification, like you do with a kala. You give the beauty, and it's all external. We're going to get back to this theme very shortly. Yes, the Kliyoko just adds to it the fact that we can recognize people by their true personality, the kiso. By the way, they handle money we could see the true nature of a person. I once saw an interesting board. The difference between a, between a window that you see through to the other side and, and a mirror that you can't see through to the other side is a very thin layer of silver. A little bit of silver prevents you from seeing the other side. In fact, silver in Hebrew is what? Kesef. What does kesef mean? To long, to desire. When a person desires, what do you see? Your own reflection. You see just yourself. You're selfish. The person with that kesef, that thin bit of kesef, prevents you from seeing to the other side, seeing clearly through, and all you see is yourself. All you see is yourself. That little thin layer of silver makes you see your kosaf. You're desiring, you're selfish. All you see is yourself. The Canaanites and Ephraim were ra'ayin. They couldn't see straight. They had bad eyes. They couldn't see beyond. They only saw themselves. Money is everything. They were Bali Ayn Ra. They couldn't see clearly. All they were able to see was themselves. And that's how we recognize who a true person is. We could recognize them the Kiso with the silver. So therefore, what does Eliezer want to find for a Shidduch for Rivka? The meaning that he's looking for is the opposite. A clear vision woman. One who doesn't see that silver bikiso, but was a tov ayin, not a ra ayin. So he checked her with the ayin tova of a gomil chesed. You ask for a drink, and she offers you the camels as well. You ask for yourself, you're thirsty, and she goes back and forth running to feed the camel. She's gomil chesed to what? To gemalin. Here again we have the camel coming back to us. How did he check her out? He checked her out with the gamal. Later on, at the end of the parsha, she's riding the gamal again, and she's and she's falling off of the gamal. 
she was imperfect, she still needed more. But he checked her to see she was a gomel chesed to what? To gemalim, to the camels. If she had this internal beauty of being good natured, the internal kosher sign of the camel, which he will then fix up. He explains with this concept a statement of Chazal. A statement of Chazal that perplexes a lot of people. Chazal say in the Sechtas Tainus, Kol Kala She'eneho Yofos, any Kala that has beautiful eyes, Kol Gufa Ein Tzorak Bidik, you don't have to check out the rest of her body. If she has beautiful eyes, you don't have to bother checking out the rest of her body. So what's going on over here? First of all, we know it's not the case. There are a lot of people with beautiful eyes and ugly bodies. I mean, it happens to just be the case that there are a lot of ugly people out there with nice eyes. That's number one. You have a lot of ugly people with nice eyes, he says. Secondly, Chazal are trying to give you advice as to how to determine beauty. They say, oh, beautiful eyes. Listen, beauty really matters so much, you'll figure it out. But anyway, beauty is external. They're giving you advice as to how to determine beauty. It doesn't make any sense. Now, their aids had to do with the personality. What they're trying to say is, rather than check out a, a girl, all of her deeds and what she's doing, what you have to determine is, if she has the tov ayin, the same way that's all Eliezer did. Chazal learned it from Eliezer. See, again, another lesson of Derech Eretz. What did Eliezer do? Did he start asking all the people in Choron, tell me about uh, what Rivka do, where did she educate, how did she do in school, does she go to drama classes, does she dance, does she, is she artistic, was she a head counselor in camp, you know, all of these narish questions that people ask when they do Shidduchim. They're stupid questions. Eliezer said, you know what, if I can make a test and determine that she has good eyes, that's good enough for me. Call Kalo Sheineho Yofos, if she has this beautiful eye, that's it. I don't have to check her beyond that. So this is a lesson to us. Once we know someone has a good eye, her personality, we already know her personality. What have we seen so far? That what counts the most, the raw material to work with, is chesed, internal beauty, ayin tov, good midos, good stock. Not wood stock, but good stock. And that's why he avoids Eliezer and the Ephrons and all the people that have all of that external thing, like the Chazer. It doesn't mean anything. You can't fix up a Chazer. You gotta fix up, you can only fix up externally. The internal thing, if it's all there, you could make the outside kosher. But if the internal is trafe, the external, all the adornment that you're gonna put on is gonna be in this apostate, which we're gonna come back to later on. Nezem Zohov Ba'af Chazir. Another Pasik that fits into it. Also taken from Mishlei. By the way, it's an indication of what it means to learn Mishlei if you learn Mishlei properly. A golden nose ring in the nose of a pig. The rest of the Pasik we'll leave for later on. What does the pig do with his nose? He sticks it in the mud, in the dirt, in the filth, in the schmutz. You're going to go put a piece of gold jewelry on that's the part of the pig you're going to put it on. Nezem Zov Ba'af Chazir. You're going to adorn it. You can't adorn a pig. A pig is a pig is a pig. No amount of jewelry is going to change that. You could adorn a person that has the internal things and you give the external, if there's beauty there, then jewelry is an enhancement. If there is no beauty, 
jewelry, putting it on the pig, it's not going to help you. We'll get, get back. But the idea is the same thing. He wasn't looking for an Ephron who was a hypocrite, who was a Chazir, and who was just interested in Nezim Zov Ba'af Chazir. He was looking for a Gomel Chesed, a Gamal, a camel, internal beauty. Has to be fixed up. We'll bring him to the household of Avram. We'll fix her up with the other things. With what? With the Torah, with the Luchos. But again, this goes back to what I said in the very beginning from Yisrael Salanter. Torah is an adornment to a mensch. Torah was given to a mensch. You can't give Torah to a pig. You have to give Torah to a mensch. doesn't discuss Midos in the Torah. This, by the way, is a key to understanding why was the Torah given to the Jewish people. Remember, if we learned last week, this just fits in with our last series of Shiurim, Avram Kibel Schar Kulam. Avram took the reward of everybody. So if you remember, how do we explain it then? One of the ways, we had three Pshatim in it. What does it mean he received everybody's reward? The whole world, because the world was in a very chaotic state. He single-handedly rescued the world, saved the world. As a result, he got everybody's Canadian. Right? The story that I said from Rav Schwab, at those crucial junctures in history, you could hop around a lot more. That's one shot. The second shot that I said was from the Teferis Yisrael. Originally, the Torah was meant to be given to all of mankind. But they flubbed it up again. Just like they did the first ten generations physically till Noah. The next ten generations, Hashem promised you won't destroy them physically anymore. But they lost out their opportunity to obtain the internal spiritual gifts of the Torah. They lost out on it. And therefore it became filtered and funneled and channeled exclusively through Avram. Avram Kibios Kulam. He took all of this spirituality, the Torah was given to him. Why? Because Avram was a Gomel Chesed. The first meet of the three of us was Chesed. Avram being the mensch that he was, now deserves to have the Torah. Torah is an adornment, an addition to the basic mensch. Avram was that basic mensch to which the Torah adorns. It's interesting, Chazal in Pirkei Ovis, I think it's in Paragimel, refers to Torah as Kli Chemda, as adornments, jewelry. Torah is like jewelry. Again, it's an adornment to a mensch. It adorns you. Remember what we just said by Moshe Rabbeinu. Like a kala that you bedeck with jewelry. Torah and jewelry are the same. Therefore, Jews are in jewelry, maybe, for that reason. We have a monopoly on jewelry. And we call it jewelry. But that's what it is. Torah is like the jewelry to adorn a mensch. With this, we could understand what Eliezer was trying to convey the message to Rivka. And it beautifully fits into all that we've been saying. Second paragraph. El Yudua. We know the following. The Ten Commandments were on two luchos. Why? Was God trying to make it lighter? Didn't help. Because Moshe had to carry both of them anyway. If anything, it's probably easier to carry it in two hands. One thing than to have to constantly hold two different things. What was the point in putting two luchos and dividing it? Five and five. Why not all ten on one big luach? It looks nice as a Jewish symbol, you know. 
What's the Tuluchos all about? So what do we know? That the Tuluchos were divided. The first five commandments is Ben Odom Lombokum, between man and God. The last five is between man and man. Ben Odom Lechavero. That's the two luchos. Two distinct separate sections of the Torah. Man to God, man to man. Now, the first luach had mitzvah ben Adam l'mokom. The second one had ben Adam l'chavero. Nevertheless, even though the two luchos were distinct and separated, it says in the Torah, luchas, without the vav, to tell you that it's all one. They're both equally important. You can't pick and choose one without the other. That's the message by Moshe, by Hik Kaloso, or Kaloso, I should say. When Hashem finished speaking to him, he gave him Luchoso Edus, Luchoso Evan. But it's written Luchas, one. As Rashi says, Shneem Shoven. They're both equal. So although there's two parts to the Torah that are seen to be distinct, but they have to be one connection. You can't take one without the other. So the word shoven, that they're equal, doesn't mean necessarily equal in weight, which they are. But it means more than just an equality, that they're just as important. They have to be taken together. Luchas, as one luach, not one without the other. With this we could understand a beautiful Sifurna that I once told you, the Sifurna, I should call it properly, in the beginning of Parsha's Kedoshim. The word Luchos is written one way, pronounced another way. Sivan Kree. It's written singular, it's pronounced plural. Because there's... Because, Luchos without the... What makes something plural or singular is the way it's pronounced. You can pronounce it Luchas or Luchos. If it's written with a vav, then it's written in a manner that only allows you to read it as luchos, plural. But if it's written without the vav, then it gives you greater latitude in the reading. It's still supposed to be read, plural, could be, but both ways are equally valid in reading it without the vav. So it's written in a manner which conveys both possibilities. If it would be with the vav, then it narrows it down and tells you it's only one possibility, plural. But the way it's written in the Torah allows you to read it luchos or luchas. Luchos is plural, luchas is singular. To be ready either way. So that's precisely what luchos were. They were plural yet singular. They were two distinct entities, yet they were considered connected. Says the Sparn on Parshas Kedoshim. Prior to Kedoshim, we have the mitzvahs of Arias, forbidden relationships, forbidden foods, forbidden things that are Tomei and Tohar. All those things. Comes the Torah and says, Kedoshim to you, after all that, Kikotoshani. Be holy and sanctified like the Lord. God is holy. And then it starts off saying, it starts off saying, honor your father and mother, or fear your father and mother. Keep Shabbos. Don't go after after um, graven images. Don't make any graven images. Ani Hashem, I'm the Lord your God. Says this for notice how it's reading backwards the first of the five commandments. Honor your father and mother. Keep Shabbos. Um, not swearing in God. Don't go after Alilim. In other words, don't have strange gods on your name. Don't make any graven images. Ani Hashem. It's all five of the first commandments. He says, what's, what's the point? 
because the first five commandments says the says the um, Sforno refers to the first luach, which is Ben Adam Lamakum. What's the difference between the two luchos? What's the purpose? Now, someone's going to say, doesn't honoring your father and mother is Ben Adam Lechavero? It's not. It's considered Ben Adam Lamakum for a variety of reasons which I don't feel like going into. But if you'll notice, where is the discussion of reward? After the first commandment, second, third, fourth, there's no discussion of reward. After the fifth, it says in order that you should have length of days. As if it's a summation of the entire Luach. Because when read that way, you see it's almost like a separate Luach where it tells you the reward by the end. I'm the Lord, no Avodah don't swear in vain, don't take the Lord's name in vain, keep Shabbos, honor your father and mother. Some total of all of this, you will have length of days. What does the Gemara say the length of days here is referring to? It's referring to length of days in Olam Haba. That's the only place where there's truly long war, war, days. Right? That's Gemara's discussion of Elisha ben Navuya. He saw someone honoring his father and mother and he died and he became an Apikaris. The Gemara says no because it's referring to our true Arich which is in Olam Haba. In other words, as it's for now, the purpose of the first set of Luchos, Bein Adam Lamokom, is to give you your soul to be more like God. The purpose of creation was man is created in the image of God. He's commanded to be godlike, and as a result of the command to be godlike, he's expected to be more selim elokim. That's what it starts off saying. The reward, kedoshim tiu, be sanctified and holy. Just as olam haba will be connected, so the reward is olam haba, which is eternal life forever, connected to God. That's what the Sforna says. The first five commandments are backwards because it starts off with a reward and it goes through all five as if to say that's the purpose of the first luchos giving you all haba he doesn't really discuss over here the second one by extension though we could now extend the words in Sforno a little bit beyond I don't know maybe later on he says something like this it's my addition to it I'm not sure the second luchos that's to maintain life on this world is to maintain life in the world of God when you're going to be there with it. Between you and God, that's individual. Between you and God, that's Olam Haba. But between man and fellow man, adultery, theft, murder, false witness, these are all things that maintain life in Olam Hazer. So Bein Adam Lechaber is Olam Hazer. Bein Adam Lemokom is Olam Haba. With this, if you recall, I once answered a kasha, kasha, but everybody always wonders about it. Hillel comes, a gear comes to Hillel and says, tell me the whole Torah on one leg. So he tells him, everything else is commentary. The question is, what's Hillel really telling him? Is that true? Is the entirety of the Torah? Aren't you missing one set of tablets? You could sum total, they know them by saying, love your fellow man as yourself. But what about Ben Adam Lamakam? So Rashi answers by saying, if you understand the concept of love, your true friend is really God. Good, that's the way Rashi answers. I always answered it differently. I mean, the Nukhil's called Rashi, obviously. The gear came to him on one leg. Not on two legs. He says, teach me the Torah on one leg. So he says, I'll teach you the Torah of one leg. 
But there's two luchos. You can't stand on one leg. Who could stand on one leg? You need both legs to stand on. You need both legs. Like you need two luchos for the Torah. You need two luchos. You need two legs to stand on. The gear is coming to him. Which leg? So he tells him, especially your gear. First be a mensch. First be not Then you'll get the other leg. The first leg is That's what Eliezer was checking out with Rivka. The first leg. The Gomel internally. Gomel Chesed. Via Gomel Chesed. That's the first leg. The gear comes to Hillel. says, I want the Torah. Teach me the entire Torah. You know what? First of all, everything else is commentary. Now you're ready for the second leg. That's what Hillel was saying. So, with this Sephorno, and what we've been seeing till now, we can see how it all ties together. Although there's two luchos, and each luach is different. They're both considered one luach. You can't take one apart from the other. The bottom line is that the truth be told, a person, especially certainly a Jew, cannot choose, I'll take only this part of the Torah, not the other. Or I'll only take this part, not the other. Both are equally important and it's a package deal. They have to be connected. You'll never be a mensch without Torah, and you'll never be from and religious without menschlichkeit. You need both. You need both. <laughs> Jews cannot think. And Rivka was becoming a Jew. She was like that gear that came to Hillel. In a sense, when Eliezer tested her out, and he saw her to be a Gomel Chesed, he saw in her the one sign of Kashrus which is the Gamal. But it's only one sign, it's not enough. It's still trade. He saw the one sign. That was the equivalent of the gear that came to Hillel on one leg. She's still missing another leg. So Eliezer is telling her, you're missing still one more leg. I checked you out, you have one leg. With Ephron, we can't even talk to. With, with B'nai Canaan, we can't even talk to B'nai Canaan. With you, we have dialogue. So you have the dialogue that begins by being a mensch, Gomel Chesed. But you can't pick and choose only half. That's exactly what he's saying now. You can't just take one Luach and leave the other. Because it's written Luchas. One Luach together. Package deal. They're both one. The Gush Echot Bilti Nifmiasheni. It's one entity that can't be separated. One cannot live without the other. This, of course, we see nowadays, he says. Nowadays meant 100 years ago. But we see now even more so. That people that want to be a mensch and this and that, their morality is constantly changing in flux. If you don't have Yiras Hashem, then you're not even going to be a mensch. You're not going to be a nice guy. If you don't have a year of Shemai, you have to have fear of heaven in order to be a mensch. Before we continue on the bracelet, let me now say 
Yeah. It's interesting. When people say they're a Jew at heart, they're saying they're camels. <laughs> that's, what the, that's what they're saying. I'm a Jew at heart. Deep down inside of me, there's a Jew. In other words, I'm a camel. Externally, I don't do anything. Internally, I'm a Jew. Beautiful shot from the Meshachach. Now, the Meshachach doesn't quite say the way I'm saying it, although he more or less says it. So, I'm saying it with real, sort of an embellishment slightly different than the Meshachach. It's based on the Medrash. I mentioned it on other occasions. Yerushalayim. What is the name of Yerushalayim and how did it derive? Hashem says, I'm in a dilemma. I'm in a dilemma how to call the city. Malki Tzedek Melech Sholem. Malki Tzedek was the king of Sholem. Sholem is modern day Yerushalayim. In other words, Malki Tzedek, who was, who was Malki Tzedek? He was Shane, the son of Noah. He referred to Yerushalayim as Sholem, which nowadays we call Salem. Right? Salem, Sholem. Avram gave it a different name. Bahar Hashem Yeroeh. He called it Yira. Fear. Why? Because of Akedas Yitzchak was done on that mountain. Hashem said, I can't insult any of these great people. I can't refer to it as Sholem, because then Avram was insulted. I can't refer to it as Yira, because then Shem, who is also a Tzadik, Malkitzedek, is also going to be insulted. You know what? I'll combine it. I'll call it Yira Sholem. In fact, the Gematria of the way we spell Yerushalayim, which is the Yud Resh Vav, is the same thing as the word Yira, which is Yud Resh Aleph Hey. Aleph and Hey add up to Vav. It's like Yud Resh Vav. Aleph and Hey become Vav. So you have a Yud Resh Vav. What's the message of this naming? Terence says, who was Malki Tzedek? Malki Tzedek was Shane, the righteous king. Just. Shame lived through the flood. He lived through a generation of violence when the Ben Adam Lechavero relationships broke down. What we call nowadays the social contract. The social contract in society broke down to the point of where there was chaos, anarchy, and a mabul. And he learned that the only way the world is going to survive is Sholem. Sholem and Shalom. Shalom, of course, means peace and harmony. Shalim means togetherness, together as one, one entity. Where did he learn that? He learned in the Ark. Because in the Ark, he saw that all of mankind in the entire world, no pun intended, were all on one boat. We're all living in one boat, sharing the same boat. And only if we share the same boat, and we all know the famous example about the guy in the boat who drills a hole, and you start saying, you're springing a leak. And he says to you, what's your business? This is, the, I, this is my seat. You know, this is my seat, I can do whatever I want. No, we're all in the same boat. If you make a hole in your seat, the whole boat sinks. We're all in the same boat. That's Sholem. Togetherness, unity, harmony, the UN. That's what he learned from the Ark. It will only survive if we're united in one boat. Togetherness, as one, unity, harmony, peace, Brotherhood, fraternity, whatever other ones you want to use. Shalim. Avram went a step beyond. He did the total act of devotion to Hashem by Akedas Yitzchak being willing to sacrifice his son to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. 
the ultimate in Yiras Hashem. Now I see you're a God-fearing person. Avram said, Yiras Hashem. Hashem said, you need both. Yerushalayim is both. You need Sholem, the message of shame, and you need Yira, the message of Avram. With Akeda Sitzuk I'm referring to. In particular, you need devotion, avoda, and you need Gnil's Chasodim. You need the Torah, you need service to Hashem, Yiras Hashem, and you need Shleimus Adam. And the two are linked so closely that if you don't have one, you don't have the other. Which is why they're trying to divide Yerushalayim constantly. Because you can never take one without the other. If you want Shleimus, you have to have Yira. If you want Yira, you have to have Shleimus. You want Avram's injection, you need Shane's. You want Shane's injection, you need Avram. And your Shleim will never work unless you have both. That's why there's so much contention over your Shleim. That's why they're trying to divide it. Because we are dividing the Yira from the Sholem. If we divide Yira from Sholem, then Hashem, the world, shows us that you're going to divide your Shleim itself. The two are linked. Yira and Sholem. Menschlichkeit and Avodas Hashem. The two Luchos are one. The, the two tablets, you need two legs to stand on. It's all one. So Yerushalayim represents both. It's the place of utter, utmost devotion. And in that sense, it's an international city as well. And therefore, it's a place of the base of Migdash, of where everything has to be Shalom, no war. Shlomo HaMelech had to be the one to build the base of Migdash because David was a man of war. Shlomo was a man of peace. And therefore, Shlomo, the man of peace, had to build the edifice of total dedication to Hashem. The two come together. That's the lesson of the two luchos, the two parts. Now, let us continue. Comes Eliezer Eved Avram, and he tests out, that's the third paragraph, that the heart of Rivka internally, she's a Jew. She's a camel. Now he wants to teach her a lesson. It's not enough. It's not true shlemus. Until the second line in the second paragraph, until you add and connect and attach faith and the mitzvahs to Hashem, how does he demonstrate this lesson? He gives her two connected pieces of jewelry on her hand to teach her that the Shleimus Genuza, Shleimus comes about, you only reach Shleimus with two Luchos, not one, but two, and the two are linked and connected and attached, that represent Ben Odom Lumokom and represent Ben Odom Lechavero. So although she has excelled and perfected herself in the Midas HaChesed and in kindness to people, that she's perfected herself. But Rivka, you're still only a camel. You're still not kosher yet. It's the right material to begin with. We begin with that. We can't deal with an Ephron. Torah was only given to a mensch. But you still need Torah. Torah was only given, we have to work on the mensch. Now that you're a mensch, you come from good stock. Your internal kosher signs are all there. You're standing on the one leg of Ben Odom Lechavero, which is the first leg that Hillel tells the Ger. Hillel informs the Ger 
First prerequisite to becoming a Jew. So, Aliyah says, Rivka, you're there. Now you're ready to convert. Now that you're there, you're ready to convert. Comes Eliezer and tells her that now you got to But this you'll never get in Choron. For this you have to come with me back to the Yeshiva. You have to come back to the house of Avram and Yitzchak. And over there in the house of Avram and Yitzchak, you will learn the segment and the half that you're missing. The attached part that you must have. You'll have to come with me. Notice how Eliezer is adamant that she has to come. Yitzchak can never come here. And if Yitzchak doesn't, and if she doesn't come to Yitzchak, forget it. The deal is off. She has to come. He gives her a jewelry that attaches the Ten Commandments, two pieces of jewelry attached together. With this he says, let's now go to the nose ring. Let's go to the nose ring. What is the nose? The nose is the place that we use to smell. Taste and smell. Who remembers by the Esrig? Creates Hodor. The Esrig represents Talmidei Chachom that have good deeds. The Esrig has taste and smell. Esrig is the Talmud Chachom who learns and does mitzvahs as well. It comes out and the Lulav The, the lulav represents the one with Torah, taste, but no smell, because of the dates. The hadas represents the one with smell. No, I'm sorry, the other way around. No, that's what he has here. Taste is Torah, smell is mas and tov. Therefore, he puts the nose ring on her nose, which is the organ of smell which represents good deeds to tell her you're great you deserve a crown so to speak on your nose you have perfected what the nose can perfect good deeds you're perfected that however although you deserve gold for your nose how much does the nose ring weigh you're only half there there's still a half that's missing. It's Beka Mishkolo. It weighs a Beka, which is only a half. Remes to the Shkolim that were half. It's to tell us the same lesson. Mas and Tovim, even when they're perfected, are only a half. To get the other half, you need the Torah. That's Tam. That's taste. That's flavor. For there you have to go to the house of Avram. Why? Why the house of Avram? And this of course, although it's not politically correct, what is a woman's connection to Torah? How does she get Torah? Now we got a problem. A woman could only do mass and Tovim. That's half. How does she ever get to Torah? By going to Yeshiva University? And getting in on the Smicha program? By going off to Israel and learning Sanhedrin? How does a woman get Torah? How does a woman get Torah? Says the Gemara and Brochus, Noshim Kozachim. Where do women get their connection to Torah? Bakrui Benayu, Bastuya Gavrayu. By bringing their kids to school and by waiting for their husbands to come home from the base of Medish and learning. They therefore join and connect to their husbands who are learning. 
you gotta go to the house of Avram and Yitzchak and marry Yitzchak the Talmud Chacham, then you'll have Torah. Raise children, Klal Yisrael, which Rivka, by the way, learned her lesson very well, because she made sure that her son Yaakov, the one that learned, is the one that's going to get it. She learned this lesson very well, even against Yitzchak, as we'll see the next shot in this jewelry. We have all other shot here in this jewelry. But the message to her was, you're a, you're a princess, a princess of Mas and Tovim. But that's only halfway there. You still got to get married and marry a Talmud Chacham and connect to Torah. And that's only in the house of Avram and Yitzchak. Therefore, these are two pieces of jewelry. One is to tell her that the two are linked. You can't have Mas and Tovim without Torah. The other one is to say, you're only halfway there. You still need a husband who's a Talmud Chacham. You need Torah. So he brings down on the bottom. She says, then as a result, you're a truly perfected woman that's beautiful externally, internally. You have the internal signs, the external signs. You have all the jewelry and all the adornment. You're now a perfected human being. You're beautiful. You have Mas and Tovim. You have a good smell, perfume, whatever the case may be. And you also have the taste of Torah as well. Says the mission in Pirkei Ovis. A person who doesn't learn Torah is compared, says the Mishnah. Now I'll read to you the rest of the passage. A golden, a golden ring in the nose of a pig. Isha Yofa Visoras Tam. Very good. Isha Yofa Visoras Tam. Simply put, what that means is the following. Soras Tam, Tam of course means taste or flavor. It also means sometimes common sense and mention and, and Tam. Or it means religion. It could variously mean a few things. Morality, Torah, Seichel, common sense, being normal, being, being uh, I mean a person without Tam usually means he lost his mind. Mind. A beautiful woman without the internal mind it's like wasting beauty on a pig. He's going to soil it and defile it. Beauty is an adornment. It's an external adornment to an internal beauty. If a woman doesn't have the internal beauty, then it's going to make it worse, says Rukhayim Velazhner. Just like the pig. If out of all places you're going to put the nose ring on his nose, on the snout, what does he do with the snout? That's what he puts into the mud. That's what he puts into the saya, into the saya. You know what saya is? Dung. Manure. He takes the gold adornment and he wallows in the filth and the schmutz and the mud. He sticks it right in. He makes it worse. It's the wrong place to put it on the pig. It doesn't belong anywhere. It's not going to adorn the pig. It's not going to make him look any nicer. But if you put it there, he's going to use it to dig dirt. He's going to make things worse. He uses the snout to dig. Now he has a ring over there also, a little piece of metal, and go through the, he's going to dig deeper into the filth. That's the wrong place to put it. If you have a woman with no morality, no scruples, and you give her beauty, she's going to use the beauty much worse. A beautiful woman without Tom, she's going to use her beauty for promiscuity and schmutz. She's going to wallow in the filth even more with her beauty. It's the wrong adornment. 
on a deeper level is the same thing. If you're going to give this kind of an adornment, which is external to a pig, it still looks ugly. Moshe Rabbeinu was a kala, was given the adornment, the jewelry. Torah is an adornment. It's jewelry to the mensch. Just like the internal mensch is given the external beauty. It's wonderful. You take the person who's a true mensch and you give him external beauty. You have adorned his inner soul with the external jewelry of a beautiful body. Likewise, a person that's a mensch, the emes, and you give him the Torah, it's like jewelry. Jewelry to body is like body to soul. We once drew a similar analogy about clothing. Clothing to body is like body to soul. Clothing, the same way that a beautiful body is jewelry of the soul, likewise, jewelry is an adornment to a beautiful body. Jewelry on a pig is a waste and it's harmful. Torah is jewelry to a mensch. It's the adornment of the mensch. If you're a mensch, that's why the Mishnah compares the person that learns or rather a person that doesn't learn as a woman without tam. Tam is the taste. That's what the Torah represents. Torah represents taste. That's one way of really seeing the Pasuk. The other way really of seeing it would be more or less maybe in the opposite way. Which is that a Talmud Chacham that doesn't really make the most of his Torah and perverts the Torah is like adorning a pig. You can't put Torah on, on someone who's not a mensch. And in that sense, we go back to Ephron. Ephron can never be given Torah. The household of Avram can never marry into an Ephron family because Ephron is the pig. He's showing the external signs, but he's a pig. And putting Torah on him or trying to put Midos on him is a futile attempt. It's like putting a nose ring on a pig. It's futile. It's worthless. It's more than worthless. It's harmful. The pig's parading around with jewelry. I mean, it's ridiculous. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't enhance. It makes it worse. Nezem zov ba'av chazir. Golden jewelry on a pig is like a beautiful body on a promiscuous woman. A waste and worse. Likewise with Torah and Mas and Tovim. The two are interconnected and linked together. One without the other, you can't have. That's the message that Eliezer was teaching Rivka. That's what jewelry is supposed to be. Jewelry is supposed to be an adornment. But you have to have the rest there. Otherwise, it's wasted. Eliezer was saying, you're joining the Jewish people. You're great and you're wonderful, but you still need more. And he gave her symbolic jewelry to teach her and drive home this lesson. The lesson of Midos as it links to Torah. You can't have one without the other. You have to start off with good stock. But then you have to develop it and adorn it and bedeck it with the kind of jewelry that enhances it. And the two go hand in hand. We're saying that the analogy of, of the jewelry is to uh, the two luchos. Somebody had never tasted the taste of Torah in his life. And he comes to view the multitude of mitzvahs that we have. He says, what are you doing? The truth is the message that I'm going to say now is really the next part of the same Mishnah that we just quoted. 
the Mishnah was Kol Mishaino Isik B'Tayra. He who doesn't study Torah is considered a Nozuk, like a Isha Yof of the Soras Tam. But a person that studies Torah is freed. Why? Because of another passage that it says about the Luchos. Chorus Al HaLuchos. Shekom Mishaino Isik B'Tayra Nikri Nozuk. It's in Perak Shishi. Shenemar Nezem Zov Ba'Avchazir Isha Yof of the Soras Tam. V'Omer and says furthermore, V'Haluchos Maisei Elokim Heima. V'Amichtov Michtav Chorus Al-Haluchos, engraved on the tablets. Al-Tikri Chorus Elokheirus. The word Chorus can be pronounced Cheirus. She'ein Lucha Ben Chorin Elomisha Osik B'Torah. A truly free person is only one that studies Torah. That's the mission in the office. Luchos represents freedom. Now let's connect this part of the Mishnah to this part of the story and make a new lesson from what Rivka was given the jewelry by Eliezer. A person that doesn't study Torah reads this Mishnah and says, what are you talking about? Torah is freedom. Torah constricts you. It restrains you. It tells you you can't do this. There are 365 don'ts and another 248 do's. And you got to pay your dues. And if you don't pay your dues, you're going to be punished for it. And besides that, the rabbis added many, many more do's and don'ts. So what's going on? Torah is freedom. Torah chains you. Torah ties you down. Torah imprisons you. doesn't free you. That's a person that never studied Torah. And he views it from the outside. A guy was telling me the other day, he's in jewelry talking. And he says a woman comes in and he sells pearls and other jewelry. And she takes off these beautiful, gorgeous earrings. And he says, man, these are heavy. They like pull down on those earlobes. And he puts it on and they're very heavy. It's, it's painful. It's torturous. He says, but it looks nice. What can you do? I'm willing to do it because it makes you look nice person comes in and sees it. Are you crazy? Are you trying to torture yourself? You're drilling holes in your ears. You're putting these long things that make your earlobes droop. You're crazy. He was telling me also about Julia how heavy some of it is. I mean, the bracelets that women use nowadays can be as heavy as handcuffs. Shnei Tzimidim. Two attached bracelets. What are handcuffs? Bracelets. What are bracelets? Handcuffs. It's a question of perspective. To the person that doesn't know what gold is and doesn't realize that it, that it bejewels you and makes you look nice, to him, you're wearing handcuffs. It constrains you. <laughs> you don't know what gold is. You don't know what jewelry is. This is, looks nice. It makes me much better. It enhances my beauty. It doesn't imprison me. What are luchos? Shnei tzimidim, two bracelets. Are they bracelets or are they handcuffs? Chorus al haluchos. Al tikrei chorus elocherus. Luchos are cherus, not chorus. Shnei tzimidim. Vayihi kekaloso lebaberito, it says. He was given shnei luchos evet. Two heavy, burdensome luchos. But he was given the two burdensome luchos like a kala is bedecked with jewelry. That's what it says in Parshas Kisisa. Vayitein el Moshe. Hashem gives Moshe kekalosay. 
like you give to a kala. What do you give to a kala? 24 pieces of jewelry that weigh you down. Can you imagine? I didn't know what the 24 are. Shaya Novi enumerates them. 24 pieces of jewelry. It weighs you down, it burdens you. Two shvera luchais. Shnei luchais oedus. Luchais evan. Luchais of stone. Heavy. A big burden. But you know, it's a funny thing. It says, Moshe Rabbeinu, as he walked down, it was light. It carried itself. It was only when the letters left it that it became a burden. And that's when he dropped it. It was a heavy stone. He only dropped it when there was an eagle there. When they started using their jewelry for the eagle, and they substituted the Hashem, and they violated the Luchos, and they substituted with their jewelry, they did the eagle. And it says that they took off their jewelry to do it. And later on we find Midah connected Midah, that after the sin of the eagle, what does it say? It says the Jewish people felt very uh, saddened. And it says, And they took off their jewelry at Har Chore. They were in mourning. When the people heard the bad tidings, they mourned. No longer did they wear their jewelry. Again, we have jewelry again. What was the jewelry referred to over here? Chazal tell us the crowns given to them by the angels, the spiritual jewelry, which is what Torah represents. Torah is jewelry. That's what it says in Shani. Like a kala, be decked with jewelry. The luchos o'edus, or luchos even, heavy tablets of stone that weigh you down. But it didn't weigh you down. If you could appreciate it, it, it enlivens you, it enhances you, and you carry it with a feeling of, of an adornment. If you appreciate Torah, before the letters fly off, Moshe could carry it like the person carries the, the earrings and the bracelets and the necklace and the rings and all that heavy jewelry. They carry it and they don't even feel it because you view it as jewelry. Once you take that jewelry and you give it to the ego and you rip it off and you lose the Torah and you have to take off those spiritual crowns, the spiritual adornments of the Edyom, the Edus, the Edyom, the Luchos Edus. The letters leave the Luchos and now what you have is heavy, heavy pieces of stone that weigh you down and Moshe drops it and breaks it. Now the jewelry doesn't look like jewelry anymore. Now already it looks like handcuffs. It's a question of perspective. Therefore, what does Eliezer tell Rivka? He tells her, these aren't handcuffs I'm giving you. I'm giving you jewels. I'm giving you jewelry. Be a Jew. Jewelry. Luchos. Shneitz midim. They're not handcuffs. They're asorazov mishkolom. Very heavy. They were very heavy pieces of jewelry. The bracelets. The Torah tells you the weight. Asorazov. I don't know what that is. But it must have been heavy jewelry. Otherwise the Torah wouldn't have made it. And the heavier the jewelry, oh, the nicer it looks. So by jewelry, you view the heavier the better. The more gold, the better. By handcuffs, the heavier the worse. Depends how you view the Torah. That's why it's called luchos. Luchos are called jewelry. He's telling her the message, how to view it. This is kishutin. He's adorning her and bedecking her in jewelry, telling her that's what the luchos are. 
Buchos are jewelry and they're not a burden. 